episode of Crystal Watches Movies with her friends. Today's movie is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and today's friend is AJ. Introduce yourself, AJ. Uh, hey, I'm AJ. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, tell us some things about you. What do you? What kind of movies do you do you like most? You know. Um, I really like um, I like horror movies a lot because I think they can be like really, really good or really horrible. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I like all kinds of movies, usually. Awesome. And you are also uh, engaged to last week's guest, Michael. Yes. That's that's notable. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, the reason that I chose Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is actually... So this week, um, Eden and I were supposed to do uh, The Karate Kid... Because, like, Cobra Kai Season 3 was supposed to come out this week, but they put it out a week early, you know, like, last minute. Um, And so that was what was on the schedule. Um, And I don't even watch Cobra Kai, but Eden and I have this, like, running joke about me being a huge Karate Kid fan, which I'm not, but they somehow got the idea that I was. It's a whole thing. Anyway, (laughs) Eden was super busy. Um... I was like, okay, I still want to do Karate Kid with Eden because, you know, that the whole joke. So I need something else uh, for this week. And uh, they're re-releasing the Scott Pilgrim game uh, next week uh, when you're listening to this because we're recording this like a week early. But, like, when you're listening to this, they're re-releasing the game next week. Um, and so I was like, hey, that's a, that's a great uh, choice for uh, the movie. Um and I decided, um, okay, we're going to do the movie. We're going to do it with, with AJ. And I have the comics. Um, I should read those. So this will be my first time uh, watching the movie. I've watched this movie a ton of times, but it will be my first time watching it since reading the comics. So that's really exciting. Um if you would like to watch along with us, this movie is available on Netflix, and I think that's the only place it's streaming currently as of recording this. So, uh, are you ready for us to begin, AJ? I am. All right. So, for those of you listening along, I will go three, two, one, go. And when I say go, you can start your copy of the film and watch along with us. Three. Two, one, go. So, first of all, this is nice. This little Universal Studios, you know, 16-bit chiptune. Yeah. I like that. That's cute. Um, because a big part of the, the Scott Pilgrim world, I guess is they have, like, this fun stuff with video game logic. Um, Now, the thing that's interesting is, like, the beginning of the movie is almost beat for beat, like the comic. Um, I'll point out when it deviates, but, like, even to the lines, like, these lines are, like, exactly what's in the comic. (laughs) Oh, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, now, I love this movie, and Edgar Wright is probably my favorite director out there. 
right now. Um, between, obviously, this movie was probably the first one I saw from him. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Baby Driver. They're all all great movies from him. I haven't seen At World's End. That one's a good which one. Which is... Yeah, that's like the the third one in that trilogy with Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Um, first, I love those little little visual effects right there. Going back to the movie, the the Ding Dong. From what I remember from seeing some of the bonus features, um, that stuff was like hand drawn and animated. That's so cool. Onto the yeah, just those little those little word effects that they do. Yeah. Um, but, um, another, a big thing about this movie is, uh, last year was the 10th anniversary, um, and they were trying to do a bunch of stuff for it, um, the only one that, the only thing from the 10th anniversary they managed to get happen last year was, um, the reunion, the script reading. Um, have you seen the script reading? Oh, no, I haven't. It's very nice. Um, they got like the whole cast together, which is this is a honestly impressive feat, you know. Now with how many people from the cast have, you know, moved on to bigger roles. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll definitely get into that as we get into that. I also wanted to mention not just the word effects, but these little. Um, the little lines coming out, those lightning bolts and everything, all of that was hand, done by hand. That's so cool. It's it's just a super cool touch that really adds a lot to this film. Yeah, gives it that there's, comic book feel. Yeah, there's so much cool stuff in this film. Um, I, that's one of the main reasons I love it so much. The filmmaking behind it is just incredible. Um... The way they do some transitions, I'd really recommend watching. There's a ton of great uh, video essays on this movie that I could recommend. Um, because they're just really good. <laughs> um, but going back to the cast reunion, it was really, it was just really cool to see. Um, and they even had the writer and artist from the book uh, there. Uh, drawing uh, certain scenes in the comic style while they were reading the script. That's so and I cool. think they auctioned off the drawings for charity. That's awesome. Um, I wish I could remember what charity it was. I think it was... Uh, I think the charity had something to do with um, getting uh, water into um, into countries that it's hard for them to have good water. Mm. I think that was the focus of it. Yeah. Um, but other things they wanted to do for the anniversary included um, a theatrical release, which obviously, you know, theaters in 2020, not really a great combination there. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I think they still plan to do that. Oh. When, you know, when they can. And I'm really excited to do that. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Um, and finally, like I mentioned, the game was supposed to come out around the end of last year, and, you know, they'd only got pushed back a few weeks, so. That's not bad but, for a game. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> the game had already been made and was released years ago um, uh, on the PlayStation Network. Yeah. And it got taken down oh. after like a year or two. So it just became this lost media. So people were really excited that they're putting it back out there. Yeah, that's weird um, that they like took it off. Yeah, it was like a whole, it was a rights issue, I think. Yeah. Like, cause I think Activision developed the game and I think they lost the rights to Scott Pilgrim. So they couldn't like sell the game anymore. Yeah. So. And, you know, since it was a digital exclusive, you know, you don't have used copies floating around. Yeah. Um, which, of course, I could go into a whole rant about physical video games and why they should stick around, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, so here we move on to, you know, one of our first, you know, big stars to move on from this movie. You had Anna Kendrick right here. Right. Playing Scott's sister. Um... What are some what are some things she's done? I know she like she's done big things, and I can only think of like the smaller things that she wouldn't be recognized for for some reason. I like I recognize her name, and I honestly can't tell you like bigger movies she's been in. Yeah, the the one thing that's the only thing that's coming to mind for some reason is uh, her Quibi show. <laughs> And, well, we know what happened to Quibi. Yeah. But what is interesting about Quibi that I actually learned the other day is all of the stars of those shows owned the rights. Which means with the service down, they could choose to put those shows uh, anywhere else if they wanted them still out there. Oh. Which is cool. Yeah. I did. I did want to. Yeah, it's handled way better in the comic. They give it way more time. Yeah. Um, but obviously, the point of him dating a high schooler is that he's at a poor point in his life. Yeah. And he's making poor decisions. Yeah, like this isn't a good thing. Right, which isn't an excuse because it's still hurting someone else. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and they think the comic does a better job getting more depth into that. Um, because as, as we know in this movie, um, you know, they're going to break up. He's kind of like trying to date Knives and Ramona at the same time. And it, you know, it's a problem. Yeah. Like, I think the point is that Scott's, at least at this point in his life, is not a good person. And I, I don't think, a, right. I don't think a lot of people get that. They're like, oh, I want to be like him. Right. Exactly. It's like, well, he's um, not a good person but, right now. But in the book, and we can, like, get to it as we get to, like, those beats in the story, we can get into it more. But, like, there's real closure on the relationship um, when when Wallace just told Knives, he's too good for you. Later on, Scott comes back and he says, Wallace was right. You are too good for me. Yeah. Um, and she's still not over the relationship yet, so she can't quite see that yet. But then even again later in the book she's able to when they get like actual closure yeah it's really well done <laughs> um but yeah another star coming out of this movie brie larson playing 
Envy Adams. Mm. Um, you know, Captain Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, not her most, I mean, probably like her most well-known role at the moment, but not her most liked role. Yeah. Um, I like the movie. <laughs> there are valid criticisms of the movie. Yeah. There's also a lot of invalid criticism out there from just sexist people. Oh, yeah. And it becomes difficult to speak critically on movies that have that kind of discussion around them because then you just sound like one of those people. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same thing with, like, Um, uh, the newest Ghostbusters where, like, you can't tell if someone didn't like the movie because, like, they just didn't like it or because it was an all-female cast. Right. Um... New Ghostbusters is an interesting movie. It has its enjoyable moments. Chris Hemsworth's great in it. (laughs) Have you seen it? I actually haven't. I really want to. Maybe we should do that sometime on the podcast. Yeah. I'll have to I'll have to look at I'll have to look at when we can do that. There is the new Ghostbusters movie coming out this year that could be a good time but i was planning on looking back at the original instead when that comes out the original is really good yeah the original is really good the new one i'm super excited for (laughs) um because it's got finn wolfhard in it (laughs) and he's great yeah he is he's just like he's he's good he's i don't think i've seen anything he's in that i didn't like Um, i feel like i've only seen him in stranger things but i might be wrong yeah, Stranger Things, of course, was his breakout role. Um, the first It movie, I didn't see Chapter 2 because of the controversy around that scene in the beginning. Oh, yeah. Um, but he was good in It. Um, I'm sure I've seen him in some other things. When did this movie come out? 2010. 2010. That feels like it feels like so long ago. Yeah, 10 years. Yeah. Um I I want to go back a little bit to right when um just here all of this the way the like scenes like mash together like that when like they're in the library but Steven's yelling at him and then suddenly he's in the He's practicing band. The conversation seems to continue through this scene transition. The guy walking in front, all of that. I think it does a great job of showing how, like, Scott is at a low point in his life, and it's just kind of it's like everything's his... blurring together and moving by him. Yeah, it's like his life is passing him by. Yeah. Yeah, I think Edgar Wright is, like, really good at transitions. Oh, absolutely. Um, Have you seen Baby Driver? I have. I really like that movie. It does such a great job with its editing, because it just, it, they match it to the music super well, and... Yeah. um, I especially really like that scene near the beginning when he's going to get coffee, and you can see, like, the lyrics to the song, like, appearing behind him in different things. Yes. I mean, the the way you have to shoot that, I'm sure some of it was... I don't know. Actually, I think I saw behind the scenes. I don't think any of it was special effects. I think that was all... Like, they actually 
and even when he goes back through it, because he comes backwards through it, the lyrics change. They had people running in while that part was off camera and changing the props out. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, here's Ramona. <laughs> um, the way he's gripping a his A wonderful cup. character. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but here's another star that's come out of, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I don't, she hasn't gotten super big, but she was just, she just did, uh, Birds of Prey. Most recently she played Huntress. Oh, she did? Um, she was probably the best character in that movie. That was a good movie. Yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't like. Didn't love it. It wasn't like a great. It was enjoyable. Yeah. Like it wasn't a great movie, but I enjoyed watching it at least. It wasn't horrible. Yeah. It was it was fun. The costume design was fun. I liked Harley's outfits in it. Oh, yeah. Um, it certainly has some comic accuracy problems oh, that I can understand. Yeah. A lot of complaints about Cassandra Kane being, you know, a kid, and yeah. I understand that. Um, I certainly don't think it needed to be rated R. I think that kind of alienated too much of the audience. Like, there's a place for R-rated superhero movies, like Logan did a great job. Uh, Deadpool. Yeah, the Deadpool right. duology. You know, those are movies that, like, they make sense to be R. Birds of Prey kind of felt like we made it R so that it could be edgy sometimes. I didn't even actually know until you pointed it out that it was rated R because it did not come yeah. across that way at all. Right. I, it's really just, like, there's a couple scenes that's, that are really gory. yeah. And they say fuck a lot. <laughs> like they could have, they could have easily brought it down to a PG thirteen rating. Yeah. Um, Aubrey Plaza. Here's another star. You know, coming out of I this movie. I love her. Um, although I think Parks and Rec started before this movie came out. Yeah, it had to have. Um. So, she was so I guess like big before this. Yeah. And she's definitely more well known for that than this. <laughs> um since we're back in Scott's and Wallace's apartment, I do just want to say from reading the comic, I was amazed at how accurately the movie created this set. <laughs> like it looks exactly like it's drawn in the comic. Yeah. I'm so glad every other character in this movie is like, why are you dating a high schooler? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love... I love that. <laughs> He's not even conscious. Whatever. And even, and even the way he like first like starts hanging out with Ramona, as we're gonna see right here, is still creepy behavior yeah. from him. Um, I really think you know the whole point of his arc is that yeah, d dating Ramona 
you know, turns him into a better person. He kind of, he sees the horrible people that she's dated and doesn't want to be that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's why this story does a great job. You know, the, the exes kind of represent um, the struggles of a new relationship and to, to mesh that with his own personal story um, of being in a low point in his life and making poor decisions, it works really well. Yeah. And then, you know, you throw in all the fun comic book and video game concepts into it, and it's just... It creates a fun world where this, honestly, pretty normal story takes place, you know? Yeah. It just, like, it's, Yeah, it's based it. on a comic book... And it has all this, like, fun logic to it, but you could strip those, like, logic things away, and it becomes a believable story. You know, maybe not him, like, fighting seven people to get with the girl he likes, but what fighting those people represents and everything. Yeah. Um... Edgar Wright is always so good at like cuts. Yeah, he's uh, his editing is incredible. Um, or I should say, he gets great editors and works really closely with them. Yeah. Um, another another just great thing I want to point out about this movie is all of the actors learned how to play their own instruments. <laughs> wow, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So, like, all the songs, that's actually the actors performing them. Um, we get, you know, once we see Envy's performance, that's actually Brie Larson singing and everything. Um, I can't imagine how fast they had to learn those. Yeah. I, well, so I imagine, like, for Kim and, and Steven and stuff, they got people that, like, already knew how to play instruments. Yeah. Because... Those aren't big-named a- actors doing that part. Michael Sarah here, I'm sure he had to, you know, learn how to play bass and everything, but... Yeah. Again, when it's just for a movie, you don't really have to learn how to play the instrument entirely. You just would kind of have to learn how to perform specific things. Yeah. So... Now, one thing that is really interesting... There, here, here is one, like, deviation. The first big deviation that the movie takes from the comic is um, here where they're in, like, the dream space. Ramona actually uses that to get around. And we kind of get an explanation of that here. But in the comic, there are several instances where they legitimately use it to get around several times. Oh. Um, there's a part where, like, Scott's like, being chased by someone, and to get away, he's like, oh, hey, there's a door, and he, like, jumps through subspace and ends up back at his apartment. But they kind of just mentioned for this one scene here. Yeah. Um. (laughs) 
there's just there are just so many fun things to point out about this movie. <laughs> there's just so much that went into the creation of it, and that's one of the reasons I love it so much. Yeah, just so much like tiny details that really add to it. Mm-hmm. I think that's just why I like Edgar Wright as a director so much. Yeah. Because he does that all the time. This scene right here took them like a hundred something takes because they wanted Michael Sarah to actually throw it behind him and have it land in the trash can without looking. Oh God. And it's on screen for like half a second. Yeah. But they had him actually do it. Um, but Edgar Wright, I don't know if you knew this, he was originally supposed to uh, direct Ant-Man. I didn't. Wait, maybe I did. And he, but I he had been working on, he had been working on Ant-Man forever. Um, like it was supposed to be one of like a phase one movie and Ant-Man was supposed to be in like the first Avengers and all of that. Mm -hmm. That was like Marvel's original plan. But Edgar Wright just kept like, you know, he wanted to like have it a certain way and he just couldn't get it right. And eventually he, he got upset at Marvel cause they were like, you need, you, cause his idea for the movie didn't fit in the MCU. Yeah. And Marvel was just like, Hey, if you wanted to do what you wanted to do, you should have done it earlier. Cause now it doesn't fit. And that's not how we make movies. Yeah. So you have to make it fit. And I can understand it from both sides really. Cause like on one hand it's like, yeah, you know, it's Edgar Wright's a creator and he should be able to create what he wants. But on the other hand, that's what Marvel does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Their whole thing is the shared universe. I think, and so... I think that's one limitation of having, like, that big shared universe and, like, having so much control over each individual movie is that, like, directors can't right. take their time if they need it. Right. It's, and that's why um, Scott Derrickson left Doctor Strange 2. Yeah. As director. He's stuck on as an executive producer. Um but he was just like, yeah, it didn't really feel like my movie anymore. And I've worked, like, with enough director, uh, Like, I've worked with enough studios that haven't... That have taken control. And I just didn't want that to happen here. Yeah. Um, I think I would get annoyed with that if I was a director. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, I think there is a positive to the shared universe. It allows them to kind of build and create these big things that you couldn't do otherwise. You know, Endgame kind of wouldn't have worked without the framework of the other movies. Yeah. Um, things like they have Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania is a movie that's coming up. And it's like Marvel needs to build a reputation for people to want to see a movie to call that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> In 2008, no one would have seen that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it has its pros and its cons. And... I, th I think Edgar Wright just kind of works better when he does these more self-contained stories. <laughs> yeah. So, I would have loved to see his idea for Ant-Man, but I think it's ultimately for the best that he didn't do it. <laughs> I would have loved to see it, but I think he definitely wanted more time. Yeah. You know, maybe... maybe... <sighs> If, if Marvel can kind of, every once in a while, make, you know, choose to make a non-MCU movie, 
Kind of like what DC did with Joker, where they're like, this isn't in our shared universe, we're just making a movie. Or they let they let Taika get away with a lot, like Taika Waititi and um, the new Thor. They did, but they definitely made sure it still fit within what currently existed. Yeah, I felt like it um, felt really different than most Marvel movies. It felt more like a more like Taika Waititi did it, but it was like mm-hmm. obviously it still fit. Mm-hmm, for sure, I think the thing with Ant Man was that the plot didn't fit. Yeah, which and that was the issue. Yeah. Um, it feels like Marvel's definitely kind of letting up on directors, at least with like, mm-hmm. at least with the new Thor and the fact that like Taika's coming back because everybody loved it so much. Right. Um, I think there we go. Just another great transition right oh, there. Yeah. Back um. But another thing that Marvel does is they they do, like, round tables and, like, these bullpens. And it's like, okay, all of the, like, directors who are actively working on a project will be in communication with each other and work off of each other. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people think that's what Star Wars should start doing. Oh, absolutely. You know, after, after The Mandalorian, people are like, let John, get Jon Favreau in there, get... Dave Filoni, let George Lucas be a part of it, but please don't give him complete control. Yeah, he wasn't... Because that was the problem with the prequels. Yeah, he wasn't even in complete um, control of the originals, which is what no, made No, he good. wasn't. Right. Just bring his wife back. I mean, if back. you've heard about... What'd you say? Just bring his wife back to work on it. Yeah. <laughs> Are they still married? I feel no, like I, I think heard they something got about divorced. them not... That's I probably think that's, why she wasn't. Yeah, I think they got divorced. Probably why the prequels, the prequels are the way they are. Yeah. Yeah. It it is amazing, like how many of the lines in this movie are straight out of the book, even if they're some of them are from different scenes, but it's still word for word what's in the book. Yeah. <laughs> I love when, uh, like movies and TV shows take stuff straight from like. Mm-hmm. And and obviously I don't want it to be like a direct thing because then it's like, well, what's the point of adapting if you don't put your own creative differences on it? Yeah. I love this song. Isn't it great? <laughs> it's my kind of song. Yeah. Sweet. Love this one. <laughs> uh, um, in the book, actually, Crash and the Boys come back later. Um, except now they're called The Boys and Crash. Oh. <laughs> um, but, but a big thing that happens in the book is a lot of the... <laughs> I love this this bit right there. We're just you can't hear him talking and the words are on screen. Yeah. Um but a big difference in the book is um there's not just it's not just like he meets the ex, they fight and then the ex is gone. Yeah. Um the ex sticks around for a bit. They kind of maybe get to know each other in a few cases. Um 
sometimes they even have to fight a couple times. It's it's different. And of course, a movie's gonna, you know, a movie has limited time. It has to abridge it a lot. Yeah. Um I feel like it would have uh, gone. It would have worked well as a TV show with like yeah that structure, but I don't think you could have gotten like Edgar Wright onto a TV show. Exactly. And I was like just about to say, I would love, like one part of me would love to see the story translated into a miniseries that can like follow it more structurally. But on the other hand, it definitely wouldn't have the same tone as the movie and the same feeling yeah and so i'm i'm glad the movie is what it is and i and i've, I've said so many times already i love this movie yeah <laughs> um and i yeah especially in 2010 you couldn't have gotten a miniseries like this i think if you were to try now you, might you know have they been able to they're going so much bigger with tv and that's that's a huge thing I've definitely noticed is the big trend of like the last decade is the blurring of the line between film and television. Yeah, with like um, you get like a lot you of get film quality TV. Like aren't actually right. airing. Right. I think I think streaming services have been the big part of of bridging that gap. Um because they're able to put in so much more money towards a project and give it like film level quality and give it a huge budget. Yeah. Um, sorry. I, I'm just completely stunned by Matthew Patel showing up. His, the way he delivers his lines is so much fun. (laughs) Um, but and not only do you get film-level TV now, you also get movies that are becoming more like TV. Going back to the MCU, you know, like each movie's like another episode of a show, right. kind of. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really interesting to see. Ah, uh, these special effects are just so fun. Oh yeah. Um. I will say this song coming up might be my favorite translation from the comic into the film. Yeah. Although that's that's there's a lot of great stuff, but being able to actually hear the song because in, in the comics, it's just the lyrics written out. Right. <laughs> obviously. So. But it is interesting that there is still, like, a song fight. The diff- the big difference is it is actually... Um, it is... Uh, Scott and his band are saying some of the lines in the song as well. Oh. Um... I will say I love but I his think, whole look. Yeah. I think this this movie definitely sh- 
was was probably a a like solid point that showed Edgar Wright could do Ant Man, you know, with all this action yeah. in it. Um, because I don't think he had really many action heavy movies before this. Um. Yeah, I mean, he. I mean, Hot Fuzz, kind of, but Hot Fuzz is a very, very different. Because it, it was. The whole movie's edited like a montage. Right. Um. So these flashbacks. These flashbacks are cool because they're animated in the style of the comic yeah. uh, art. Now, in the comics, the flashbacks are actually done in a different art style. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, it's, it's more like, it kind of looks like a kid drew it in crayon is what they were going for. Um, so it's, it's a fun difference. Anyway, here's the song. <laughs> I love how, like, everyone is just staring at him. I love how this is the weird part. Like, everything that's happened, this is the weird one. I love the subtle breaks of reality before, like, this huge... Yeah. I mean, those people just turned into skeletons. Yeah. (laughs) Like, before this huge break of the, um, the fight, there's, like, these subtle breaks of reality, especially with the, um, the text on screen. The text on screen, um... Little things like the his pee meter yeah. when he goes to the bathroom, which is actually in the book, but, like, closer to the end. Um, which, again, is just an, an interesting thing, how they take a lot of things right out of the book, but restructure them a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's a whole... There's a... a a somewhat, I wouldn't call him a major character, but a pretty large character that's cut out of the movie entirely, and that's Knives' dad. Oh. Who, like, hunts down Scott after uh, Scott and Knives break up. <laughs> um, and at first he thinks it's one of uh, uh, Ramona's exes, just because it's some dude hunting him down. Right. Um, but it isn't until, like, he runs into Knives and... And, like, they talk about it that he realizes. I feel like Ramona's style is so, like, early 2000s, but I still love it. Yeah. Especially with her bell-bottom jeans. Oh, for sure. Um, 
I know this, we've like way past this moment, but I did want to bring it up. When, when Scott's at the party and he's like, you know, do you know a girl that looks like this? And he holds up the drawing of Ramona. Yes. I kind of wish they did what he, what he does in the book where he like holds his fingers up in like the little parts, like her little bangs. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I will say, with the way they've restructured the film from the comic, they've given it feels like they've given Wallace a bigger role. In the in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the film. I'd say he does just about as much as he does in the comic, but they've cut out so many parts that he's not involved in that it makes him a bigger like percentage of the story. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um anyway looking right here at probably our biggest star to to follow this movie yeah here's chris evans here's chris evans <laughs> um obviously you know captain america he played he played johnny storm before this didn't he he did and that was kind of his character type was a johnny storm a lucas lee a real like jerk yeah dude so when he was announced as Captain America, people were like, really, that guy? Yeah. But, you know, it worked really well for him. <laughs> and to the point where he's, like, synonymous with the role, you know? It's funny because in Knives Out, he really returns to, like, this character yes. archetype. I was about to, I was I was going to bring up Knives Out. Yeah. Um, but I think, really, him coming back to Knives Out works so well because he was associated with Captain America. Yeah. That it's gone back around to being a different thing for him. Yeah. Um, but, but for sure, he's definitely become one of those that's like associated with the role. Like he is Captain America. Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. You know, you, you think of the actor when you think of those roles and that's not true for like, all the MCU characters, you know? Yeah. Scarlett Johansson isn't necessarily attached to Black Widow, I'd say. Yeah. Um, Zoe Saldana isn't necessarily attached to Gamora, you know? Yeah. I feel like especially with the um, more makeup-heavy ones, that it's like... For sure. Um... I mean, then you get into the ones that, like, aren't even associated at all, like Bradley Cooper as Rocket. Right. I was, I remember I was reading a whole, uh, a whole thing where, like, a Disney exec had, like, gone to James Gunn and was like, why did we even pay for Bradley Cooper if he's not going to sound like Bradley Cooper? <laughs> and James Gunn was like, we paid for him because he's a good actor and the right actor for the part. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Um... He mentions Final Fantasy 2 here. I wonder if he means American Final Fantasy 2 or Japanese Final Fantasy 2. Or are they, like, super different? So, here's the... Th here, they, Yes and no. Okay. Let me explain it. Basically, of the first six Final Fantasies, uh -huh. we only got three of them in America. 
Oh, wow. And they followed those, we, they only followed those numbers. Huh. So, yes, like, American Final Fantasy II is a game that exists in Japan, but that same game is like Final Fantasy III or IV in Japan. I'm not sure which one. That's weird. I think, you know, more recently, they've, like, updated that and there would now be associated correctly. But in 2010, I don't think that change would have happened yet. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until Final Fantasy VII that both America and Japan were on the same number. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. This is another thing. Kim's... Kim's relationship with Scott is very glossed over in this movie. In the book, they go pretty into depth with it. Oh. Um, you get a lot of flashbacks from it. And there's even a point where um, Ramona like leaves and Scott doesn't really understand what's going on and he's trying to like figure out his life again. Um, he tries to uh, kind of get back with knives. Like, he doesn't want it to be serious, but he has, like, a casual relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's turned 18 by that point in the story. And that's when we see, like, her maturity, and she's, like, done being obsessed over Scott. And she's like, hey, Scott, that was nice, but, you know, we shouldn't have a real relationship. Yeah. Um, and he, he kisses Kim again, which was where I, like, was leading with that part. Oh. Um. But all of these experiences kind of lead to no other relationship is going to give him the same fulfillment that a relationship with Ramona had. Yeah. Bread makes you fat? <laughs> Such an iconic line. I love I love that line. Um Yeah, there's there's definitely like a lot they you know, the movie has such this big point of, like, you know, we've got to, like, fight all the exes. We have to, like, pretty much jump from one to the next and keep going. Where the comic really lets you savor the time in between them. And you can really see how Scott and Ramona's relationship evolves over the course of the story a lot better. Yeah. Um... So, and now I still I still love the way the movie's presented. <laughs> um, like I I feel like I keep having to say this because I feel like because I'm comparing it to the comic, I'm trying to say, oh, the comic's way better. This doesn't. I'm like, no, this is its own take on the story that I really like, yeah. and I like both of them. I like both versions of the story very much. Um, I will say especially his relationship with Envy is the biggest difference they really go into his relationship with Envy in the book and like have flashbacks with all that Um, and even they even like kind of get some closure on their relationship oh. in a sense that you just definitely don't see anywhere in this movie. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so that's that's that was probably like the the biggest difference for me when I was reading the book. I was like, oh man, I do wish they could have included at least some element of this somewhere in the movie. Yeah. I <laughs> I just love that it, it plays the Universal Studios theme as he steps out of the trailer. The skateboard and everything. God, Chris Evans. His eyebrows. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um... And another thing, I'm going to try not to say this for every X, but, like, they they don't fight the whole time when he, it's, it's Scott and Lucas. It's, they, they kind of have a conversation a bit. Oh. Um, they, like, start a fight, and then they have a conversation, and then, like, they do, like, the skateboard trick scene that we get later. Yeah. Um. So it's it's just an interesting difference. I feel like he kind of gets to know the exes a bit more before he fights them. Now this castle, I've actually been to this castle. Oh wow, where is it? Um, when I when I took a trip to Canada. Oh. Um, they filmed a ton of movies here. Hmm. Um, the interior of it was used in some of the X Men movies for the X Mansion. That makes sense. Um. They but like like it's a there's like a part in the castle that's a bit museum like where they have like a bunch of posters for a bunch of the movies that were filmed there that's cool but it was really cool because like i could like i walked into a room when i was in the castle and i was like oh my god this is professor x's office (laughs) like that was just really cool for me yeah um, so all of these stunt doubles are Chris Evans' actual stunt doubles from different films he's done. Wow, really? <laughs> Which I, I love that they, that they did that. I do love that. <sighs> I do love Wallace's energy throughout this entire film. It's so good. Now, I wonder how many of these stunt doubles uh, Chris Evans still works with. Right. Um, I know... I know that Chris Evans has to do his own running. Oh, right, yeah, because he runs <laughs> For weird. For stunts. Because he runs weird. I think it was even, like, specifically about the way that his butt moves when he runs <laughs> that no, they couldn't get anyone else to do. <laughs> I may just be making that up, but I feel like I remember reading something about that. Yeah. I definitely remember his run. I don't remember what about his run. Mm-hmm. Do you think Chris Evans... Lots of people like squeezing cups right. in this movie, huh? Do you think Chris <laughs> Evans had to have his eyebrows, like, he had to make that face the whole time? Oh... 
I'm sure part of it is him making a face. I'm sure another part of it is the makeup. Right. I'm wondering, like, how much of it is makeup. Obviously, his some of his eyebrows are, but, like, I wonder how much of, like, his eyebrows... Right. I don't, think, I don't think Chris Evans' eyebrows are that thick. No, they aren't. I don't think so. They don't point up like that at all. Uh, for sure. I love the way he just talks in this movie. Because his voice is not that deep. No, not at all. Like, it's still recognizably Chris Evans, but he's deepening his voice quite a bit. Evil laughter. Right. Uh, this has got to be one of my favorite scenes in this movie. And I'm probably going to say that a few more times. <laughs> but this one is definitely up there. Yeah. And I think Chris Evans escalates that for sure. Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love the aspect ratio changing throughout the film. Yes, I love when films aspect ra- aspect ratios are a very interesting part of film. Yeah, and it's difficult to talk about, but it it definitely just through an aspect ratio alone can set help set a tone for a movie. Right. Um. You know, you have something like what we just had—a very you know traditional widescreen. And a lot of action movies will do that. Um, but I I tend to prefer aspect ratios like this, what most of the film does. Because I think shots feel a lot bigger when it's just a taller screen. Yeah. Um, but it, it does depend on the movie as well. Yeah, it depends on the movie and like the feeling you're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, like Ant-Man did a taller aspect ratio, going back to Ant-Man again, it's the first example I could think of, but Ant-Man did a taller aspect ratio because they wanted him to feel smaller. Oh, that's smart. So there's more like empty space of him not on screen. Um, and the first Avengers movie also did a taller aspect ratio, but the reason for that was just because Scarlett Johansson was so short that they needed a taller aspect ratio so that she and Hulk could be on screen at the same time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Which I guess they figured out because the later Avengers movies don't have that aspect ratio. But Right. Um, anyway, we did just gloss over the... The lesbian joke. I, I love, I love the lesbian joke. <laughs> um, also right out of the comic. Um, there's even a bit a bit later in the comic where you know the conversation kind of comes up again. It's like, have you said the L word? And Scott just goes, why is everyone so obsessed with lesbians?
Oh, I do love them having the, the pictures of them in the background here. Right. I had noticed the poster before. I don't know if I've ever, like, paid attention to the pictures. Oh, my God. You can even, like, see her leaving <laughs> through the pictures. That was That's a nice touch. Honestly, Brie Larson looks almost unrecognizable in this role. It's interesting. Right. Like, I'm always like, oh, yeah, that is Brie Larson. And, like, I know it's her because I've, like, attached her to the role in a sense. But then I look at her and I'm like, oh, yeah. I think it's the hair. Oh. <laughs> God, I love that part so much. It's so I, I saw a, <laughs> reaching back for the coat, I saw a behind the scenes where it was the previs for this. Oh, and they just kind of built a, they kind of like built the room out of cardboard boxes. And Edgar Wright does Wallace's part. Yeah. Now this is interesting because I in in the movie this character is introduced before we meet Todd. I think I I think it's like in the middle of the part with Todd that she comes in in the book. Oh. But again, the movie kind of just he meets Todd, they fight, he moves on. Yeah. The book, he meets Todd, they have a fight, there's no real winner. They kind of just hang around for a bit. And then they do another fight. <laughs> yeah, it, like, sucks that they have to... Right, it sucks that they have to, like, gloss over some of... Like, a lot of it because of how much you have to get through. Right. And they do a very good job with it. And I think a big part that helps that is Brian Lee O'Malley, the writer of... <laughs> what did you do this time? Um... A big part that helps is Brian Lee O'Malley, the writer of the book, also worked on the script and was working on both uh, simultaneously. Oh, huh. I don't know if you know. Basically, the first volume of the book came out and then they were like, okay, let's do a movie. Oh, huh. And then he worked on the rest of them while he was writing the script. Um, and like volumes two through five were kind of written alongside and then he finished the script and then wrote volume six. So it's interesting that way, because at that point, volume six kind of becomes an adaptation of the movie. Oh. Since that part of the movie was written before he wrote that part of the book. Yeah. Um, and then the book only came out like a week before the movie did, so. <laughs> hmm. That would be weird to like, if you were into it and like experienced it in real time. Yeah. Because then what, you're like picking up the last book and you're like, well, I, I got to like read it in this week so that I can go see the movie when it comes out and like, and I don't want it to spoil the book for me, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I read um, like half the series in one day. <laughs> so... Because um, I, I have the, the color editions, specifically the three-volume color editions, which, like, each of those books collected two volumes from the original. Um, but, yeah. Hmm. 
I love her jacket. <laughs> her jacket is very good. Yeah. That's a good bit too with the censoring her. Oh right. And then the, how are you how are you doing that with your mouth? I I keep like talking about one thing and then talking over like a bit that I really like. Oh, same. Because there's just so much to talk about with this movie. Yeah. Um, especially now that I've read the book and like I'm talking about the book and Yep. God. Um, I, I'm not remembering. I, if I'm remembering correctly, Scott never moves out of this apartment in the movie, does he? I don't think he does. I don't think he does. In the, in the book, he moves in with Ramona. Oh. Um, like they're like uh, the lease is up, and Wallace finds a new place, so Scott has to move in with someone else. But he's. At the time, he's, like, unsure of where his relationship stands with Ramona, so he, like, feels awkward asking to move in with her. Yeah. Um, so they have, like, a little small plot about that. And I think Knives' best friend here that she's talking to, she's only in this one scene, isn't she? No, she's in some other ones. She's in a couple ones? Okay. Yeah, she was in the she is band like, one, she, the, like, where they're at the concert. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's, she's a... I would say she's a bigger character in the book, but I think she's just around more in the book. She doesn't really do anything. <laughs> she's just kind of there for Knives to talk to, really. Yeah. Um, one thing I've definitely also seen point out, you see a lot of the exes wear clothes that have like what number they are somewhere on them uh lucas lee had a two tattooed on him uh, we're about to see todd he's wearing a shirt with a big three on it um scott wears a lot of clothes that have a zero on them including this shirt right here that just spells out the word zero <laughs> um even with his drink of choice coke zero it's mentioned a few times as well oh so it's 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 interesting just those little details that they put into the movie. Yeah.
Um, <laughs> I. That's I. That's such a dumb joke, and I love it so much. Oh, same. Um, but since we're talking about like dyed hair, there's another good bit from the comic that I really like. Um, because the comic was originally just published in black and white, there's a a joke in there where they say, um, oh, hey, here's Todd. We'll talk about him in a second. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yes. They say, uh, someone asks Ramona, is that your natural hair color? And she says, I don't know, maybe? And then in the color edition, they added a little thing that just says, note, this was funnier in black and white. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But anyway, back to Todd here. That's Brandon Ruth, uh, who played Superman in Superman Returns, which was actually before this movie. Oh. Um, but has more recently become bigger playing um, the Atom on Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow. Oh. Um, which I thought was a better role for him. Yeah. And just the way he acts. Um, but when they did Crisis on Infinite Earths with that, they got to bring his Superman back. Oh. Um, and it was really exciting (laughs) because you saw, oh, hey, he actually can play Superman. And it was kind of just Superman Returns as a movie that wasn't that good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's good that, it's good that he got to like almost redeem himself, I guess. Yeah. Like, show that he, and could, I, he could do that part. There's great parts in there. He When he's fighting the other Superman, um, when uh, he is interacting with uh, Adam, because it, it's, just, it's just a thing with me. I really like when actors show that they can act against themselves, because that's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> um. Even if it's just, like, a small scene like it was in that. Yeah. Again, just a dumb, like, comic book thing that he punches the color out. I love how you can see, like, where the color landed behind her. Yeah, I was going to point that out. The detail of, like, you can actually see this, the, like, splatter of color. Yeah. Ah. Again, like, the fact that these, like, this, like, circle stuff is hand-drawn adds so much to it. And this is some great cinematography with the colors and everything. Yeah. And, you know, of course, Todd's vegan powers. (laughs) 
are a whole thing. That is so funny. Um. <laughs> Bingo. I, uh, Brandon Ruth does this part so well. Which, it's very different from what I'm used to, because the other two roles I'm really known for are these very heroic, you know, one of them being Superman. Yeah. You know, a very iconic, good person. <laughs> Um, known for how good he is. Um, and then the Adam, who is also, you know, a superhero. He's not as much, you know. But he's a, he's a goofy guy. Yeah. At least on the, the show. Um, a lot of people are saying they wanted his Superman to get, like, a miniseries. Oh. Um, following Crisis, which they could do. And it was it was interesting because um, there was there was a weird thing in um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, what? No, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh yes, there's a weird thing in Crisis where they do like a big like sizzle reel at the end where they show like oh here's how all these universes are now. Mm-hmm. And his Superman has a brand new suit that's only in one shot. That's... And they made another new suit for, like, the thing, because they wanted to base it on a specific design. That's weird. And then they give him another new suit just for this one shot, so people were like, well, maybe maybe they made that new suit because he'll wear it for, like, a miniseries or something that they do on, like, HBO Max yeah. or whatever. Maybe she cleans up dust. <laughs> she dusts. I love this whole exchange. Again, this is also straight out of the comic. Like, word for word. Yeah. More of this good, just hand-drawn effects. Yes. The cups. Yeah. The cups just kind of floating around in the in the wind. I think in the in the book this was more of just like a like a regular fight. I don't think they ever did a a base battle yeah. thing. Um, still very very fun. Oh yeah. Um, again, just the fact that the actors are actually playing the instruments here—it's. 
it's a small detail that like they didn't have to do, you know? Right. They could have just had them like run their hands over the instrument and put in someone else playing it, but it it looks so much better when they're actually playing it. Yeah. You know? Um it's like with uh Pixar through Coco and even more recently Soul they actually animated them playing the proper notes on all the instruments. And that's that's very, you know, specific to animate that so specifically is uh is a lot of work. Yeah. My my mind's eye or whatever. <laughs> I just I don't think anyone other than Michael Sarah could have done this part, just the way he delivers his lines. <laughs> so one of the vegan police here played Punisher uh. in one of the movies. <laughs> so that's a fun cameo. Um in the comic, they just appear out of nowhere. They don't break <laughs> like the Scott wall. doesn't they might still break the wall, but, like, Scott doesn't trick Todd into drinking, like, a soy milk or anything. It was entirely Todd's own decisions. Yeah. Um. There's a part right here with the, with the vegan police I love. here right here they they're walking away in the uh the high five like jumping high five well there's furniture moving upstairs and that's definitely going to be picking up on my microphone (laughs) yeah does it like is it is it implied that like He's killing these people? Oh, yeah. These people are definitely dead. Oh, okay. For sure. (laughs) There's no doubt about that in my mind. (laughs) It's so weird. It's just like, yeah, they turn into coins and they're technically dead. And they just kind of gloss over it. Even the comic just kind of glosses over it. They're just like, yeah, they're gone. I guess it's very, like, video game logic. Where it's like, you kill people and it's, it's never, you know, like, disgust. Especially, like, old pixel games. Mm Mm-hmm. So, that's it for Envy in the movie. Um, In the comic, she's, like, gonna go back home, and, um, like, Scott, like, like, they have, like, a, Scott and her kind of have, like, a real conversation, but it's not really enough closure for him, so he's still kind of upset. And then, like, at the end of the movie, they, they meet up again. Because actually... Oh, yeah, sorry, at the end of the book. Um, because she's actually the one performing for Gideon. Oh. At the end. Um, and Gideon is dating her now. Oh. Um, and she's even, like, part of, like, the ending, 
like fight against him a little bit. Yeah. Not like heavily, but she's she's definitely there and she definitely gets something out of it. Um so Um also another another big point from the comic that I guess we can get to now. Todd is cheating on Envy. Oh. <laughs> um so Envy's a part of the fight against Todd even a little bit. Oh. <laughs> um and a few of the things from from this upcoming fight are actually in the book from uh parts with Envy and Todd. Um, and I'll, I'll mention those when they actually come up on screen, but there's, there's definitely a couple things where I was reading the book. I was like, oh, that's, those are, those are from the fight against X number four. So. Yeah. Um, speaking of yeah. X number four. Another thing that's different in the comic, again, it's not just one fight. She's kind of like in town um, and stays, spends a night with Ramona. Oh. But like on her couch. Yeah. Um, although it is implied that they, that it's not even implied, it's explicitly stated that they, that they made out again. Me when I'm angry. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Um, this, this whole thing right here when she's going to pull... She's going to pull, like, the hammer out of her bag. They use the bag a little bit more in the book. And it's kind of... It's, it's, you know, that kind of trope where it's, like, a, a magical, like, infinite bag. Yeah. Um, when they first encounter X number four, what... I forget her name all the time. It's Roxy, right? I don't know. Well, when they first yeah. encounter her, Scott doesn't want to fight her. Oh. Scott climbs into the bag, and Ramona does the fighting. Oh. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's like the and and eventually runs away, but it's just this whole scene, and it's just Scott's head poking out of the bag <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> and I, I love I loved that visual. Yeah, that would be very hard to pull off in the movie. So I understand why they didn't do it. Um, it'd be like half their budget for this, right? Because they definitely go more cartoony with the special effects, and you can't make that work that style work with doing what you're doing there yeah um i love um the girlfriend's outfit yeah The, the 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 whoever did wardrobe on this movie did a really good job. Yeah. <laughs> I do hate the 
the whole conversation about like her having a phase. It's like very early two thousand. Yeah. Obviously, it's like very early, like or like early mid two thousands, like right idea of like bisexuality. So, I would like to readdress that, but this right here, the weak point being the back of her knees, that was actually, in the comic, was uh, Scott's, well, Envy's weak point with Scott. Oh. And so there's a part where, where they're, like, fighting Envy, and... Like Ramona's fighting Envy, and Scott comes up from behind and hits Envy in the back of her knee. But it's the whole the whole same concept. Yeah. Um. Anyway, this is probably the death that makes me the most uncomfortable because she just died from orgasming. Yeah, which is, I feel like this whole situation is just like, I feel like it could have been handled so much better. Um. I will say going going back to what you were mentioning with um. Um, um, the whole discussion of phase. <sighs> they don't present it this way, but I, to make it feel better, I present it as like that Scott's view because yeah. Ramona doesn't say anything about a phase. <laughs> yeah. Know? Um. No, I think she says it was a phase and then Scott's like, you had a sexy phase. Oh yeah, she might've, I don't think, I don't think she did in the book. I don't remember. How that part is handled in the book. Um, yeah, it kind of seems like it seems out of character, especially because she she emphasizes exes all the time and not ex boyfriends. But she, right. but then she's like, it was a phase. I didn't think it would count. Mm-hmm. Which feels like which she definitely knows that it does with the way she says ex. Right. It is. I love how it is laminated. Roxy. Okay. Yes. Roxy. Um. Now I always thought that you know making X's five and six be twins was definitely a way to speed up the story a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie spends like no time on them. They're like, we gotta go. We the gotta book. Go. The book spends a bit more time with them. Yeah. They like build like robots that Scott has to fight a couple times. They're at, like, some parties that they're going to. But even then, like, they're, that part of the book, they are not the focus. It's really focusing on this bit of a break where Ramona's walked away and Scott's really unsure of where their relationship's going to keep going. Yeah. That's the real focus there. Actually, no. Actually, no. <laughs> oh. Um, this is another, another thing I want to point out. This movie probably takes place over the course of, what, two weeks at most? Yeah. The book is, like... At least a year. <laughs> Which would make more sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. For, a, you know, a developing relationship. and But again, doing a lot of time skips, it's difficult to pace a movie that way. 
um, so I can understand. Time skips are a very difficult thing for pacing. You can usually get away with like one or two in a movie. Yeah. But you try to do too many and the audience just gets lost a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I certainly understand that choice. Yeah, I think having Edgar Wright um, was, like, one of the best decisions because he is very good at, like, these, like, skips between, like, scenes and time. As... Mm -hmm. And he's good at telling a fast-paced story. Yeah, yeah. But still giving everything the emphasis that it needs. Yeah. Um, so... He, he for sure, he was like the perfect director for this. Yeah. And it's interesting because as far as I'm aware, this is his only like adaptation he's done. Yeah, I think he does originals think... besides this. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, obviously we're going to exclude Ant-Man since Ant-Man didn't happen. Right. But, well, it happened, but not with him. And since I've mentioned Ant-Man so many times, I do want to say... I think Peyton Reed was a fine director for Ant-Man. I enjoyed Ant-Man. It wasn't like amazing, I think but I enjoyed it. It there was it was a little it was a little weird, you know, I felt like maybe they're you know, he's kind of picking up this movie that's already started being worked on and Yeah. I think he did a better job on Ant-Man and the Wasp. I feel like there's a lot more of Peyton Reed's direction in that film. No, I agree. Um, and he did, this past season of Mandalorian, he did a couple episodes that were just incredible. Wow. Um, he even did the season finale. Um, and that's interesting. I've noticed the Mandalorian season finales have these, like, big dramatic set pieces and have this trend of being directed by m directors that are more known for their comedy. Huh. You know, Peyton Reed being attached to Ant-Man. And um, the first season, Taika Waititi. Uh, directed the finale. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. Also, he played um, IG-11 on the show. Oh. Or he did the voice for him. Yeah, um, I feel like I knew that. Which is great. Um, yeah, he was definitely a big part of the creative process on season one. I don't think he was really involved in season two at all, though. Um... But that's fine because he's working on his own Star Wars movie now. That I'm, I don't like even know what it's about, but I'm pumped for it because it's him. Right. <laughs> um. And I think that's what Star Wars is going to have to do with their spinoff films now. They're going to have to get people excited about the directors because they don't have like big exciting concepts anymore. Yeah. You know, like that's what the shows are for. I think are the big exciting concepts because. Mandalorian, yeah, that's, you know, all these things spinning out of, like, Clone Wars and Mandalorian and that, you know? Yeah. That's where you're getting your concept stuff that people want. The movie side of things don't really have new concepts to offer. Yeah. I At this point, I feel like. Especially since you want to try to distance yourself from... They clearly want to distance themselves from the sequels at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um... Which is a shame, because I actually like 7 and 8. Uh, fuck episode 9. That movie sucks. But... I don't think I... I liked 7 I think and I eight. saw 7 and 8, and I never saw 9. That's alright. You're not missing much. Yeah. I really wish they went with um, Colin Trevorrow's script. Um, 
but it wouldn't have sold well in the international market. <laughs> it was I've like I've like heard about what it was. It's very like different from what you've seen in Star Wars. Oh. Um which I but, feel like, like it would have worked. I feel like it's what we needed it, and instead of what it we would have worked so well. Also just Palpatine coming back was a really dumb thing. That's stupid. That was obviously JJ Abrams wanted that to be Snoke and he just couldn't use Snoke anymore. Right. <laughs> I don't understand why they switched directors. Yeah. I think they were planning on having, like, one for every movie, and then they were like, wait, they this, were. Is, this is supposed to be, like, a cohesive narrative. No, and I think it would have worked better if it was one for every movie, because then they could have each taken their own thing. The right. problem is J.J. Abrams came back, and he was like, no, I want to put it back to what I wanted. It's like, no. It's like, if you wanted that, if you wanted that, you should have also done eight. Right. He tries to have it both ways, and it doesn't work. Right. Um, but what was up with that was the director that they had set to do episode nine released, like, a horrible movie that was, like, critically panned. Oof. And so Disney was like, no, you're not doing Star Wars. <laughs> and so they are like, let's get J.J. Abrams back. That would suck. So. Um, I think the last star I want to bring up here is Gideon, Gideon's actor. I don't think... I don't know if he's done anything else like you'd recognize his face in, but you may recognize his voice in something else. Uh, he was the uh, main character in Klaus. Oh. I love that movie. It's so good. It might have to be like an annual like Christmas tradition for me to watch that movie. Yeah, I don't think I... Because it is... So good. I think my family watched this, watched it this Christmas, but I didn't get around to it. But it's uh, I watched it whenever it came out. Yeah, I did as well. I think I think I watched it after the Oscars. Mm. Like, cause that's when I really started hearing people talk about it. Yeah, the animation in that movie is insane. It's incredible. Like the algorithms that they did, like created for the lighting and everything. Oh yeah, is awesome. And it shows, you know, there is still a place for 2D animation. Yeah, I really wish um, places would do more 2D animation. Yeah. We don't, like... I think 2018 was the last... Had the last theatrically released 2D animated movie. What was it? Teen Titans Go to the movies. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Which, honestly... As much as I hate Teen Titans Go, I enjoyed Teen Titans Go to the movies. Oh. It w I, I was genuinely surprised. I was like, oh, hey, this is like, this is a good movie. <laughs> I hate the show that it's based on, but. Yeah, I wonder if it was, I assume it was probably puppet animation, like digital puppet animation for the movie, but I'm not sure. I wonder. I, whatever it was, it was definitely whatever they do for the show. Right, which I would assume is like... Because it was, it looked the same. I think all, almost, almost all shows use digital puppet animation now. Like all 2D yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, I know Fairly Odd Parents switched to Flash and like you can tell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can tell when they switch. Here's the thing. Some Flash can, some people can, do can it be a great tool. Yeah. It can be a great tool. It allows you to have a lot more detail without having to hand draw all that detail all the time. Unfortunately, it's used as a as a very lazy shortcut. Yeah. 
um, a lot of the time. I think Nickelodeon even aired a show that was done in Go Animate once. I've never even which heard is of that. preposterous. Let me let me look it up. They did a Go Animate was is like a tool that like you can go online and access. It's like a, a web based animation thing. I cannot even imagine being on the like the like um, animation side of that and having to use that. Yeah. Um, yeah, most places the... do most places do anime or Toon Boom now. Um, what what was the Nick? I'm trying to find it, but I'm just finding like videos on Go, like from Go Animate. Um, Yeah, I know um, one that I can think of uh, right now is Hilda is hand animated. I mean, like, digitally hand animated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've heard of that one. Oh, it's on Netflix. It's really good. It's hmm. really it's really sweet show. Me too. Yeah, uh, that's just a. I love that they do the whole. I think Edgar Wright. That's really weird that I can't find it. I think the show had something to do with like uh, fairies or something though. Wow. <laughs> I think Edgar Wright is so good at like comedic timing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's the sigh, and it's the second cool. password. Um, so, like, at this point in um, the book, Sex bob isn't even a band anymore. They tried to record an album, which isn't even mentioned in the movie. Oh. Um, they got, like, three songs, and it took them way too long. And, like, Steven was, like, way too into it. And they basically just made a new... Like they make like a new band though with most of the same members, oh. but it's not Sex Bob Bomb anymore. So it's it's Envy is the one performing. Like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um and and Gideon has a whole thing where he like he he's like really creepy about like the outfits that she wears. He he really enjoys controlling her wardrobe Ugh. in a sexual way. Ugh. He he essentially says you know, dressing you up like my personal doll turns me on Ugh. to her. Yeah. I feel like we get some of that energy here. For sure. With, like, the way he, like, like touches her hair, but not, like, to that extent. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole thing they're about to bring up with like the ch- the like chip that's controlling her, yeah, that's not in the book at all. Oh, it's the way they get the same concept is there's like a thing in like the subspace area where it's like he has control of a part of her personality. Oh, but then a bunch of other parts of her personality like stand up against him, and it's like 
20 other Ramonas fighting him. Oh, it's like, yeah, you still have a hold on a part of me, but the rest of me hates you. Right. Um, now, this whole thing with uh, Scott learning the power of love and, like, getting the sword, this happens way earlier in the book. Oh. Way earlier. When does he um, learn in the book? It's about, like, halfway through, I'd say, once he's, like, really solidified that he loves Ramona. I think he uses it to fight Knives' dad, actually. I think that's when he gets the sword. Yeah. When he fights Knives' dad. Oh, yeah. Which, again, completely absent from the movie. Yeah, so you better put it somewhere. Um, now, the second sword that he's going to get later, I love the, the self-respect, yeah. that does happen at about the same point in the book. But it's not self-respect. I don't remember what the concept is, but it was something else oh. that he like earn, learns the power of. And Ramona gets her own sword in a similar fashion Ooh. as well. Yeah, I wish. I don't think she gets her own sword in the movie, does she? No. I wish she did. Oh God. Oh yeah. Um. Oh, this fight, the Knives versus Ramona, happens way earlier in the book. Like, at this point in the book, Knives is over her relationship with Scott. Right. I wish we got to see um, that earlier so you could see more of Knives as, like, herself. Yeah. Um... But but the book does have I think in the book their fight is like in the library. Oh. Um But yeah, there's the the differences are definitely fun to look at. Yeah. I think I'm still very happy with the movie the way they made it, for sure. Well, see that, yeah, that like that part's not even entirely true. Like, there is a point in the movie where they had this conversation where it was like, yeah, you, you cheated on both of us, and it's a problem for both of them and causes a strain in Scott and Ramona's relationship yeah. a little bit. Because, like, here, you know, they're able to have that conversation, but we're near the end of the movie, so Ramona has to get over it quickly. Right. Where the book gives Ramona time to process that. <laughs> also, it nev this conversation never even actually happens because um, we go back in time with his, with his one-up. <laughs> mm. Although, actually, except maybe Ramona, through the subspace, still kind of knows about it. I don't know. You can interpret it that way. Yeah. Um, there was something I meant to mention, like, way earlier, 
that I didn't, and it is a very small thing, so it feels weird to bring it up now, but I just randomly thought of it. Um, there was there was a part earlier in the movie where Kim says an ableist slur, and in the movie, yeah, I missed it. Yeah, um, and I just wanted to point out that when they did the 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 cast read of the script for the reunion thing, um, they they didn't say it. Oh, oh, that's good. So. Yeah, this this whole chip thing isn't in the book at all. Yeah. I guess it's a way to, like, speed it up. Yeah. I feel like having the personalities would, like, take time to explain that they, like, yeah. were clearly running out of time at this point. I mean, uh, the way that they made it work in the book, at least in the color edition, I guess black and white wouldn't have shown it as well, but each of the other Ramonas has, like, a different hair color, so it's, like, a part of her from a different point in her life. Oh. And... But there's also, like, a fight between, like, a giant Scott and a giant Gideon in there, and, again, effects and all that. Right. The way they do effects in this movie, it'd be weird. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the effects are very object-based, as opposed to, like, char- like character. Right. that's like a big moment in the book even they do like a whole like big panel and it and it just shows like neil super happy and there's just text that says the best day of his life (laughs) It's great. Oh, okay, they do have the, the conversation again. Yeah. I did forget about that. What did he put in his mouth? Gum. Okay. <laughs> It sounded so solid. Yeah. 
G-Man. God, I... So the, the interesting thing about this, I'm surprised I, like, didn't even think about this till now. The first time I heard about this movie was in an issue of Nintendo Power that I borrowed from my elementary school library. <laughs> um, they had, like, a two-page spread on it. And I was just like, oh, this looks so cool. Yeah. And I, I begged my parents to rent it from Netflix back when we still got DVDs in the mail from Netflix. Oh, my God. Um... It, and my, I remember my mom was hesitant at first because in the magazine they used the word kick ass to like describe Scott's sword here. <laughs> and that was why she was like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I did end up seeing it and I love it. Yeah. But I don't think it was until years later that I saw it that I had a true, like, appreciation for it. And I'd seen a bunch of video essays that really... This part, that line, is also from Envy versus Todd fight. Oh. Envy does that to Todd. Um... I don't love the usage of that line and that specific instance. No, but that's not uh, good at all. It's not how any of that works, but... Oh, I do love these cuts. It was an interesting difference, I noticed. Yeah. I feel like it definitely suffers from, like, early, mid-2000s humor in a lot of instances. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, like, the worst, but... Oh, not at all. I mean, there's just, like, a couple things where you're like, eh, <sighs> you, know, you tug on your collar a little bit, you're like, eh. Yeah. But considering the subject matter, they, it could have been a lot worse. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so I remember in the book, I remember Gideon talks about like he tried he like put the league together on Craigslist and he was like drunk and upset and he didn't expect anyone to actually respond. <laughs> um I kind of wish they still put that in here, but I guess it would wouldn't totally mesh well with this whole rant. Yeah. I mean, look at that. He definitely dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Also, it's like raining quarters. That would hurt. It would hurt so bad. <laughs> it would hurt to be in the middle of that. It would suck to know how much that, like, you know that's a lot of money, but you're like, there's no way I'm picking up all of those coins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'd probably pick up a few handfuls because, like, laundry money, but... Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd just be like, hey, does anyone have, like, a broom? <laughs> oh, yeah, like that, like that. Yeah.
So, this part in the movie doesn't really make too much sense to me. I feel like they wanted to include this somewhere in the movie, so they put it in. But it doesn't really make sense here, story-wise. Because in the book, Negascott kind of, like, represents his own self-doubt and everything. And, it, and he should be over that at this point. Right. When he's gone through, like, because he's, like, fought all the X's and everything. And it's, like, it, it's supposed to, like, represent his side of not being ready for a relationship. Yeah. And it's, I feel like they were just like, well, we want to include it in the movie somewhere, so we'll do this. Yeah. <laughs> now, again, it doesn't really mean anything because they don't fight. They just talk, and they're like, we're going to get brunch next week. But God, please tell me this has the, the good ending to the movie. <laughs> oh, is there two different ones? There are two different endings to the movie, and we can get into it depending on... I, I just want to, depending on which one they do, yeah. is how I want to approach it. Because I think we're watching a version that has the original ending. And if I'm remembering correctly, that should be the one where he ends up with Ramona. However, there is another ending where he ends up with Knives. Oh. Which makes zero sense. Yeah. Because A, in the movie, Knives is still 17. She hasn't turned 18 yet, like yeah, in like the he book. Was, he's supposed to be past that. And, and secondly, all the evil exes are supposed to represent the challenges of a new relationship and how difficult that is. So to go through all of that and then choose not to be with her in the end. Right. Especially after reading the book and how, like, Knives was able to, like, get over the relationship, I was like, wait, No. <laughs> Definitely don't do the version of the movie where he gets with knives. If the book was able to like do it this way. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah. Okay, it's the version where he ends up with Ramona. Good. If I'm remembering correctly, that the yeah. this version. There we go. This version was the original. Yeah. And based on the reaction of test audiences or not even test audiences, general audiences, I think even because it was like after the movie came out, they went back and filmed another ending where he ends up with knives. That's so weird. Sometimes the audience is wrong. Yeah. It was just, it was just really dumb, a really dumb choice. Um, like I have no idea, like, who wanted that, really? Right. It doesn't make any sense. This is pretty much right how the comic ends as well. We get... There is time in between, like, the final fight and them going in the door. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of like... It's a chance for Scott to, like, have his actual close closure with Envy. Um... And everything, but they still go through the door into this unknown, and we don't know what happens with them after that. Yeah. And that's... I feel like that's a good ending, though. Neat. Yeah. You know? Because the voice, Bill Hader... I'm sorry, wait. Wait, Bill Hader? 
what what's what's the voice that they're referring to? What? Like the narrator? Is there That didn't sound like Bill Hader doing the narration. Oh. Huh. huh. Fascinating. Wow, I really talked a lot throughout the entire movie. <laughs> I mean that's um, that's the point of the podcast though. It is. It is. I was I was surprised I had so much to say. I will say the last episode that I did with Michael it was a bit harder. I think also because I was seeing the movie for the first time, so I was paying more attention to it. Right, right. And then also you just um you just read the books, so like you had a lot to right. say about like the differences, which I thought was cool because I haven't read um, the books. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. Maybe I'll let maybe I'll let you borrow my books. Ooh, yeah. I um, but even um, on my old podcast, we would do some commentary tracks as bonus episodes. And a couple of those were movies I had already seen. And there was still just, I didn't have as much to say. Yeah. Um, and that was like my big worry coming into this podcast. But I mean, if I can just get more episodes like this where I have a lot to say. Right. I don't think it'll happen as much, um, but like, well, we're you and I are going to do Men in Black for the end of the month as long as nothing gets in the way of that. Yeah, I love um, Men in Black. So I, I've never read the comic for Men in Black, so I don't know how to compare that. Yeah, I haven't read the comic either. I've just seen um, the movies. I haven't seen the. It is. I haven't seen the like new newest one. I haven't either. Um, it didn't look great. Which is a shame, because it had great stars in it. Right. I love Chris Hemsworth. I love Tessa Thompson. I feel like I heard a lot about it, and then it just, like, nobody was talking about it anymore. Yeah. I think they're just marketing it super heavily, and then just, mm, nope, it's done. Right. You know? Um, I'm really, really disappointed that we never got the Jump Street Men in Black crossover. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. They were working on Because, like, all the Jump Street movies were, like, these, like, they were a parody of something. Like, the first one, it was a parody of action movies, but also, like, a parody of reboots. Yeah. Because they were rebooting the show. Uh-huh. And then the second one was, like, a parody of sequels. So they were going to do this Men in Black crossover to, like, parody shared universes and stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, super relevant. Right. <laughs> um, Especially when they were, like, coming up with it, because it was just, like... You know, we were just, like, Marvel was entering Phase 3. We were getting Civil War and, like, you know, all that, so. Uh, this does have me really excited to play the uh, the game because I never had a chance to play it when it was out originally. Yeah, I haven't played it. I'll have to get it, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much they're... Char- they're charging for it. Let's let's look that up, maybe. Yeah, I have no let's idea. Let's see if there's a price on that. Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the game, complete edition. Because it, it also includes the um, the DLC that was originally released. Oh. Um, let's see, it comes out January 14th. That I know. Um, I From what I understand, it follows the plot of the movie, but... The art is in the style of the book. Ooh. Hmm. But in a pixelated version of that style. Yeah. That's kind of weird since I feel like you would have more time with the video game, but I guess it depends mm-hmm. on... 
it's it, it is it's a it's a beat 'em up though. So. Oh, fair. And I, it's not even as like story based. Yeah, and I, I guess it depends on like the funding they had for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I said it was Activision. It's Ubisoft. Mm. So I apologize for that. Um, I am not seeing a price on it, but yeah, they were going for like an arcade style beat 'em up. That makes sense. Um, okay. Which I think would work really well for yeah. You know, it's Scott hard to Pilgrim. have. It'd be hard to have like it all makes the sense story beats for of what the it is. comics in it then. Yeah, because it does. Because the parts that aren't action based are you know it's a lot of relationship stuff. So right, <laughs> hard to put that into a beat 'em up video game. Yeah, besides like cutscenes, which like you can't have a whole game right. of cutscenes. I mean, you can, exactly. but can. I mean, you say that, but we're both Kingdom Hearts fans. Oh, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, just thinking about all the times I got stuck in cutscenes. I'm like, I swear uh, I'm going to message you back. I'm just like in an hour of cutscenes now. Mm-hmm. I remember um, I had a friend who, who in 2.8 thought that back cover was a game. Oh. And sat there for like an hour, and they were like, "Why haven't I played anything yet?" <laughs> I love that. But, it, but it, it's a movie. It's a it's a movie. I love that Kingdom Hearts is so like that. that they were like, "Yeah, that could happen. It could all be. It could right. be like this long of a cut scene." Right. And there's a lot of it in three because they went full voice acting, which I really appreciated. Oh um, yeah. I love that they went full voice acting. Um. Anyway. We we derailed there a little bit. That's okay. Um, that's yeah, it's great. You know, that's 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 all part of it. It's just a naturally flowing conversation with my good friend. You're my good um, friend. What? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Still one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Yes, very good. I um, I haven't seen it in a while, so it's nice. It was nice to watch it with you, like learn yeah. about the the like the comics and or the books, and then it was also nice to like see it again after having not seen it for so long. Mhm, mhm. I I will try to find some of the video essays I saw and send them your way because there was some very good stuff talking about like transitions and yeah, that'd be awesome and themes and stuff. Um, I love video essays. Yeah. So uh, thank you, everyone, who listened. I appreciate appreciate that. If you watched along with us, that is super cool. Um, if you want more from me, you can find me on Twitter at crystal underscore underscore rivers, um, which is also my uh, name on Twitch, where I will be playing the Scott Pilgrim game. Hey, bring it all around full circle. Uh, AJ, is there anything you want to plug? Um... Not much. Uh, I have an art Twitter. It's at Newt Drawing, so N-E-W-T, and then Drawing. Um, and mm-hmm. that's about it. And he makes good art, and you should commission him. And I know I said that about Michael, but I mean it. <laughs> I mean it for both of them. They both they both make great art, and you should commission them if you can. You made really cool art of uh, my dog as an Animal Crossing I did. Character. That was so fun. Um, I might have to commission another one from you for... For the other dog <laughs> i love drawing dogs so yeah dog i just love dogs I, in general yeah um oh and of course you also how did i completely gloss over that one you uh drew my starting soon screen that i use on all my twitch uh 
Yeah, that was streams. I don't do a lot so. of background, so that was fun. Yeah. I, I you know, I that I put that piece on display four times a week. So yeah. Um, you did a great job on it. Oh, thank you. Um, anyway, uh, if you would like to uh, support this podcast, the Anchor.fm page should have a place where uh, you can like make a monthly contribution. Um, you should be able to do that. I don't know. Maybe because I haven't set up the like my banking with it yet. Because I still have it like attached to the old podcast, so I need to do that. But we haven't done the last episode of the of the old podcast because that's been delayed for uh, reasons. Um, again, also going back to the beginning, just Eden being busy, and also they haven't like received a shipment of comics in forever, so they would have nothing to talk about. Um, anyway, if that's all of that, I th- you know we've been going for for two hours here at this point, so. I need to go have dinner, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me too. So, uh, thank you, everyone, uh, again for listening, and goodbye. Bye.